0: When it comes to the key forums addressing climate change, one international conference stands head and shoulders above the rest. The United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP for short, brings together tens of thousands of political delegates, business people, NGOs and activists to review and promote international progress on the transition to green energy and a more sustainable future. This year COP28 took place in the first fortnight of December in Dubai, After the tumultuous negotiations overran, over 200 countries finally committed to transitioning away from fossil fuels for the very first time. But now the summit is over, it remains to be seen whether these signatories will actually put their words into practice. As we know all too well, talk is far, far cheaper than action. Welcome to the Friday Fix, PowerScore Perspectives, our series exploring the hot topics and pressing questions from today's communications landscape. I'm your host, Michael Keating, an associate in PowerScore's political affairs team. Each month, we draw together interviews from across our network of business, media, and political experts, bringing you deeper insights and a wider viewpoint on the issues that really matter. These days, sustainability is always high on the agenda for business and governments the world over, but never more so than at the annual UN Climate Change Summit. For this year's COP28, dignitaries from around the world and from business, industry, and politics travel to Dubai to discuss the most pressing climate challenges and take stock of global progress towards that coveted 1.5 degrees target. Also in attendance were Leighton Barnish, Powers Court's head of sustainability and sustainability analyst Christy Wanstall. Having just returned to the UK, the pair join us now to share their experiences of COP28 in Dubai. Leighton, Christy, welcome back. How's your jet lag doing?
1: We've had lots of coffee today, so been ploughing through.
2: Leighton, how about you? I'm still struggling a bit. I'm still waking up early and uh, falling asleep on the sofa in the evening. That might just be old age, but um, I'm, I'm blaming jet lag. Uh,
0: valid. Keep blaming as long as you can. So. A record high of over 80,000 people were in attendance at this year's COP. How did it feel on the ground? Did it feel like that many people?
2: Yeah, I think it probably did. Just getting a taxi over there and then the buses that shuttle you around, they were were packed to the rafters. It's incredibly overwhelming. It's one of those things, no matter how big you know it to be and as hectic as you expect it to be, until you step foot in it, you just cannot appreciate just how big and busy it is
1: yeah we ventured both into the green zone and into the blue zone there's this huge dome which is kind of one of the main hubs but there are three or four core hubs within the green zone focusing on climate finance innovation and technology energy transition you name it
0: so there's a real spread of people there different interests different priorities was there anyone in particular that you kind of crossed paths with and um, were really interested and impressed by
2: Yeah, I literally bumped into Al Gore. I'd listened to his talk before. Really persuasive, really intelligent guy who knows what he's talking about. And one of the few people that speaks his mind there and calls people out. And I think that's why he captivates people's attention so much, because he doesn't pack his punches, you know, when he says something. It comes from the heart Mm. and comes from the climate science. I got to see Bill Gates. No one knew he was going to be turning up to this event. There was about 50 of us crammed into this little room and I was about 10 feet away from Bill Gates, listening to him talk about carbon dioxide uh, reduction technologies. So they're probably the two big ones for me.
1: One of the things that I found really quite inspiring was on the last Friday of COP, which was focused on Youth and Education Day, there were so many local school children, clearly on school trips, that had taken the time to journey to the expo city in Dubai, which is really inspiring. The whole reason that we want to limit warming to 1.5 degrees is so that there's a better planet for the children. So the fact that there were so many school children there taking part in discussions. I even saw a 12-year-old, she gave a speech in the green zone and on one panel, which was I was in absolute awe of
2: her. We were just amazed by the different types of people, what they were wearing and the different nationalities and languages being spoken. You look to your left, there's people in three-piece suits with Bluetooth earphones in, you know, ringing there a stockbroker. On the other side, there are indigenous people, you know, singing and dancing and everything in the middle. We go to a lot of conferences here where it's people like us, it's people from Europe, in the corporate world. This is completely different. It's 190 nationalities, every language on earth, every nationality on earth. It's a fantastic melting pot of cultures, nationalities, ideas, voices.
0: And that's, that's the crucial thing, isn't it? Trying to use COP to get agreement and consensus across all these different people, all these different nations, all these different interests. And there were some kind of some good early wins, weren't there, Christy? Um, It looked like it was going to be a really, really successful conference. Very, very early on, stuff got over the line almost straight away.
1: Yes, so on day one, the host nation, the UAE, pledged $100 million into the Loss and Damage Fund, which is essentially um, a fund that looks to operationalise climate finance for developing nations that have been disproportionately affected by climate-related disasters. So day one we kicked off the conference with huge pledges from host nations and other nations as well to commit to the loss and damage fund.
0: Despite these early wins this year's choice of host raised more than a few eyebrows given that the UAE is one of the world's leading producers of fossil fuels. In the lead-up to the conference Much of the media's attention was on the appointment of Sultan Ahmed al Jabir, the head of the UAE Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology, as COP28 president. al Jabir also leads the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. Concerns were raised that his business interests would conflict with the aim to shift away from fossil fuels. Accusations of potential conflicts of interest worsened, when apparently leaked briefing notes suggested that Algebra and the UAE were using COP meetings with foreign partners to discuss new oil and gas extraction projects. Still, Leighton got the impression that all sides of the debate were well represented at this year's UN summit.
2: I think lobbying by its nature, is quite discreet and quite subtle, so there aren't people walking around with a T-shirt saying, I heart oil and gas. Um, the corporate presence was, was certainly there. They are there working towards the causes that they support. I did also meet some um, green lobbyists, people who worked in Washington on Capitol Hill, actually pushing for EVs and green technology and green hydrogen. So there are people on the other side who are there trying to get their cases heard as well.
0: As is typically the case at the international level, progress on a final text agreement was slow and painful. On Monday, the draft agreement was changed to remove references to phase-out and phase-down fossil fuels, instead calling for reducing both consumption and production of fossil fuels in a just, orderly and equitable manner. Many developing countries most vulnerable to the impact of climate change expressed their anger at these edits. Meanwhile, former US Vice President and climate activist Al Gore warned that COP28 is now on the verge of a complete failure. The UK government branded the new text disappointing. However, on Wednesday, a deal was finalised that called for a transition away from fossil fuels which, Leighton says, is more than many people are expecting at the beginning of this week.
2: Worrying was the emotion of some people. Absolute fury and anger was probably a more common reaction. It looked really bad, didn't it? On Monday, the leaked text said uh, there was going to be nothing on phasing out or phasing down fossil fuels, some very... Loose references to what might happen, very conditional demands in there. And it looked pretty weak and people were rightly livid. The text that came out was a lot more positive. Um, It's now referring to a transition away from fossil fuels, which is definitely in the right direction. Still not much, if any, reference to phasing out or phasing down of fossil fuels, but it's implied in in the rest of it. I suppose one thing to think about is uh, often in these negotiations, there is a a, a ploy, a process of lowballing where you communicate a much weaker draft, you leak a much weaker draft, set the bar lower, and then when you improve it the next day, everyone say thank goodness for that, it's a whole lot better. If you ask people whether the final text, how it stacks up compared to the beginning of the COP28 and people's expectations, you might find it's a slightly different comparison. But broadly speaking, it's a step in the right direction. We go on to COP29, we go again. But
0: what do the business leaders working day after day to combat climate change really think of what's been achieved at this year's COT Summit? In attendance in Dubai was Anna-Marie Slott, board member for Carbonaires, a carbon asset management company specialising in high-integrity carbon credits. For the uninitiated, carbon credits are essentially permits that allow the owner to emit a certain amount of carbon dioxide or other greenhouse gases. Credits are bought and sold in carbon markets. And investors like Carbonaires pushed the money towards projects that reduced the emission of greenhouse gases or removed greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. Carbon markets were one of the big focuses of this year's COP summit, with regulation particularly in the spotlight. Anna Marie explains the latest developments.
3: One of the challenges in the carbon markets is that there are a lot of different ones. So you have a few regulated markets in the world, and then you have voluntary markets. But the voluntary markets are, as you imagine, voluntary, but they have a number of different standards. So in the past, the markets have suffered from a lack of integrity in in certain places. And so the real focus here through the Integrity Council, amongst others, as you can imagine from the title, is to really get to carbon offsets and carbon markets that work, and achieve the impact that we need, which is extraction of carbon from the environment.
0: COP28 saw the first steps taken towards securing the regulation that voluntary markets so desperately need. This included the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission issuing its first guidance specifically targeting the voluntary carbon market.
3: It's fantastic that they're coming out and making statements around the voluntary carbon markets. It signals a recognition that carbon is a commodity, that needs to be priced properly and needs to be tracked properly. And, and when we do that, we get to the place where we can start extracting it for real. The real wins in the voluntary carbon markets, while they are small at the moment and compared to what regulated markets look like, their, their potential is huge. And if we get the integrity right and we get all of the points that people need to do it properly, then you know, you, you're creating a huge potential there in the voluntary space.
0: Carbon credit markets have been on the scene for a while, but their benefits haven't always been well understood. However, amongst businesses, it's a widely held view that the world is incapable of meeting its net zero goals without them. Roland Barn, managing director of global carbon emission reduction tech company Topso,
4: explains why. Carbon is a pollutant. It's, it's a waste product. We pay for waste disposal. As a polluter, we pay for what we pollute. But on the other hand, other than through the ETS in Europe, people do not pay what the cost is of carbon. And the social cost of carbon has been calculated anywhere between 160 and $250 a ton. Now, put that on your fossil fuel and you already bridge a big part of that gap. And then secondly, renewables are expensive because the scale is not there. So it needs to be scaled. And this is new technology, very risky. To kickstart it, it needs to have subsidies and regulation that will help it scale fast. Essentially, carbon offsetting is imperative
0: whilst high-polluting industries work out how to effectively decarbonise their operations. That's where a plethora of other pledges made at COP28 come into play. From loss and damage to fossil fuel reduction, sustainable healthcare and biodiversity, there has been no shortage of new pledges made at this year's Climate Summit. Opinions are often divided on the utility of these pledges, though, and what they'll really mean in practice. Anne-Marie Slott argues that, despite this scepticism, COP pledges are generally a net positive.
3: There's probably a little bit of scepticism around the pledges actually happening. I think that those pledges are a really good directionality. They're very good to signal intent and and, and where people want to go. I think what's what's more interesting is what... You know, companies and, and people on the ground are actually doing. Because a lot of companies are, are, are already embedding a lot of uh, the changes that they need to be embedding, or at least starting on those journeys, so that you get this shift and you get the demand coming from the private sector that really drives where you end up.
0: Someone else who understands the importance of private sector investment in tackling the climate crisis is Ross Driver, partner at asset manager Foresight Solar Fund. Foresight facilitates investment in a range of renewable energy solutions, but Ross is focused on harnessing the
5: sun's energy, which is more powerful than you might think given UK weather. We have a lot of cloudy days here, but actually solar power is a very important part of the UK's energy mix. In Q2 of this year, solar generated 5.5 terawatt hours, which was a new record for the sector. Secondly, solar is one of the cheapest power sources out there, and it just keeps getting cheaper. It's more than halved in cost over the last five years, down to about $45 per megawatt hour in terms of installation costs, and forecast to halve again by 2030. So nothing quite really gets as close to the, uh, the ability of solar to deliver cheap power there. And net zero needs to be delivered as cheaply as possible to minimize impacts on everybody's wallets. So, Solo really ought to be the technology of choice for that. Ross knows
0: firsthand the importance of good market conditions and regulation for creating an environment where investors feel able to put their money where the planet really needs it. He hopes that the latest developments at COP are steering this in the right direction.
5: I think it's encouraging to see such uh, supportive and committed action from the global investment community. That's one thing that we, as a listed fund, the reporting of these things are very important to us. There's numerous different regulations and bodies out there at work. With Foresight, we've got a, a strong internal uh, sustainability team here that are on top of all this, thing, but it'd be nice to see some consistency in the market because you are been able to benchmark the different funds against each other. Consistency
0: is just as important, though often more elusive when it comes to government policy. Ross adds that the recent flip-flopping of the UK government risks creating an unstable
5: environment for investors. UK's uh, government's current conflicting signals on energy policy, including rowing back on certain measures targeting net zero, has really been quite unhelpful and increased uncertainty there about the industry's prospects. Alongside that, you've also got the review of energy market arrangements, REMA, going on in the background, and that's really yet to give a clear signal on how clean energy will be priced in the medium and the long term. And as long term investors, that's what you need certainty on to be able to put the huge amounts of investment and capital that is going to drive things such as net zero. But in Roland's mind, the choice is not between private sector
0: or public sector. Both need to work together in lockstep to meet their goals.
4: Businesses are pushing governments to make sure that the right regulation and governance uh, is in place in order to make the transition happen. Because without it, it it doesn't. And, And politicians are, of course, always weighing what needs to be done versus what needs to be done to win an election. So the push coming from the private sector is is really necessary and is very palpable if you have been to several climate weeks and what you see now.
0: So with all that in mind, just how close are we to meeting our global climate targets and commitments? That's where the global stock take comes in. Back to Anne-Marie Slot.
3: So that's a very, very critical part of this COP. A global stock take is, is what you would imagine it would be, from the sound of the words. It's the requirement for countries to come together, fill out their report card on how they're doing against their NDCs, their nationally determined contributions. So this is how people get from a commitment at Paris to actual action in in the field and and on the ground so that we can address the the challenges that are coming from climate change.
5: Ross Driver agrees. Whilst demonstrable progress has undoubtedly been made over the last decade, the next 10 years are going to be vital to put the UK back on track to meet its climate goals and limit global warming to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. That that target set out in the Paris Agreement. The industry desperately needs long-term certainty of government policy to provide market stability and therefore to incentivise innovation. Looking back at the last two weeks at COP28, here are some final thoughts from Corps' Head
0: of Sustainability, Leighton.
2: We move on to COP29. Um, What is for sure is the foot will never be let up on the gas of this from anyone's perspective, from regulators, from corporates, from individuals. We've got to stay in this mode of of reduction. The awareness is going to be made greater um, by the media, by companies, by investors. Everyone knows we've got to get this done. It makes it a challenge for all of us, for for companies who have got to keep doing things, keep talking about it. They've got to reduce that say-do gap and make sure that they are walking the talk. And even us as individuals, we all need to reflect a little bit on what we can be doing in this higher cause.
0: That's all from the Powers Course Friday fix for this year. We hope you have a very good festive period and tune in again in the new year.